Good evening. Good to see all of you again. Let's begin and let's pray first. Heavenly Father, once again, we commit this session to you. We thank you, Lord, that each time the word is declared, Jesus will be lifted up and glorified. And so that's what we desire for this session also. Prepare our hearts, Lord, as the word is declared, so that we will have good ground to receive it. And we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this evening's session might be considered like a part two of the message or the teaching entitled, Follow. Those who have heard that teaching already would have some basis or some understanding. If not, it's on SoundCloud. You can always pick that up uh, when you get back. But the title looks a little bit odd. That's because I've used two Latin words. And I'm applying and use, having some creative license down here uh, using these two words, possibly not in the actual Latin usage, uh, but just for a nice rhyme. If you want to know how to pronounce it, it's multus discipulus. The last time I looked at that word, I called it discipulus. It's wrong. It's multus discipulus. It's Latin. What does it mean? Multus means many. And that's a root word from which we derive a word that we will look at this evening called multitude. So multus, that's where we get the word multi, many, and we get multitude. Discipulus, of course, is the word disciple. So grammatically, it's not really right because it says many disciple. Uh, plural would be discipuli. So creative license, like I told you, just to make it rhyme. Multus discipulus, that sounds quite nice. The verse that we will be reading, or two verses rather, is from Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, which we touched on in the last session. Going into chapter 5, verse 1. I think you can shout, praise the Lord. We finally touched chapter 5. So let's read these two verses together. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. We notice two distinct groups down here. One group is, an, is called the multitudes, and a second group is called the disciples. And we want to explore these two words a little bit. Since these two groups are mentioned, it is clear that the multitudes are differentiated from the disciples. They are different people. So they are not really disciples or they are not disciples. The question is, because they followed Jesus. And since we spoke about this in the message follow, that the one that we believe we will follow, so does it then naturally mean that if the multitudes followed Jesus, then they would be believers? And if they are believers, then, and they are followers, then does it not make them disciples? Anyone confused so far? And if not, then does it mean that all believers could be followers, but they may not be disciples? And then we're arguing backwards again, you see, because the last time I shared with you that if you are a believer, then you are a follower. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. And everyone said, Amen to that. No problem. But here we have this these words that say, the great multitudes followed him. And this sort of confuses us a little bit. So are there then two groups again? 
people who are believers and people who are disciples. Now, don't be offended, but usually people who ask this question are the ones who don't really want to be disciples. Because they're happy that there'll be two groups, you see, you know? So if there's a believer group and there's a disciple group, then it's like, well, phew, I don't have to be a disciple. I can just remain a believer, all right? So let's look at these two terms a little bit more, especially people who teach that there are two different stages, that you become believer first and then you become a disciple. This would also be a passage that they will look at. So let's explore I first want to look at the multitudes in the Gospels, and later on, we will look at the multitudes in the book of Acts. The use of this one word called multitudes would open up our eyes to see some things. Whenever we see the multitudes in the Gospels, we will note a few points. If they are truly uh, believers or followers of Jesus here, some of these points we will find it hard to reconcile. The first is, when the word multitudes is used, it's usually contrasted with disciples. So as we said, possibly, they may not be believers yet. They could just be observers. Or, as we have already spoken about, some people would hold to it that they are believers, but they are not disciples yet. So that's the first thing we look at. We want to try to answer this question. The second thing we notice about the multitudes in the Gospels is that there are times Jesus would send them away. They would gather around Jesus, they would listen to some teaching, and at certain points in time, Jesus would send them away. And the interesting thing to note is that not only does Jesus send them away, Jesus seems to share deeper secrets with His disciples. And even worse, we find that in some phrasing, he actually, alludes, he actually alludes to the point that Jesus says, you know, to you, he talks to the disciples, to you, the mysteries of the kingdom have been given and been made known, but to them not. Now that really makes me scratch my head. Because if they are really believers, then why would Jesus keep these things from them? Why would Jesus keep them and treat them as if like they were some second-class believers and the disciples had some privy to his kingdom information. Can you imagine if your pastor after Sunday just said, okay, fine, the rest of you go home now. I'm only going to talk to these three. The rest, y'all can't have all this knowledge. Well, that will be the biggest problem in the church, right? Favoritism, this and all that, right? So it, that doesn't sit well, you know, in our, with our thinking. Also, we find that in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, when He saw the multitudes, he was, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and they were scattered and He uses this phrase to describe them. They were like sheep having no shepherd. And so, yeah, these were sheep. Nothing wrong with that. The question is that Jesus was not their shepherd. Jesus was the shepherd, the good shepherd, the shepherd that would come. The thing is that they have not recognized him fully yet. They were not his sheep. Otherwise, why would Jesus describe them as such? And if you look at the context of Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, the moment he declares that in verse 37, then he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And today we know that when we want to get out for the harvest, we are going for people who still do not know Jesus. Am I making sense? 
So the multitudes are described as such. Well, obviously they must have believed something, otherwise why would they follow Jesus, right? So the question is, what did they believe about Jesus? They believe enough to follow, but not necessarily in what Jesus wanted them to believe about Him. Did you get that one? Sometimes we choose what we want to believe. Have you realized that? And you get to talk to any crowd, any person, they believe what they want to believe. And so obviously they believed in something, and they saw something in Jesus where they thought, mm, maybe that would fit their, their mold or their picture or their expectation of what a Messiah would be. They wanted a Messiah to save them from foreign rule and from oppression. They had their own ideas of this Messiah or this King. And it's not true that later on when they didn't get that or didn't find that in Jesus, they actually changed their minds and they stopped following. So the principle remains true that if you would believe, you would follow. My question is, what did these believe in? Do you know that many of Jesus' disciples stopped following Him when they found it hard to believe or accept a teaching or some of His teachings? It's recorded in John chapter 6. They actually declared, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And then later on in verse 64, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who, would betray, and who would betray him? Of course, that, would, that was speaking about a specific individual. And in verse 66, chapter 6, verse 66, isn't it funny that it should be 666? It's recorded that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now, sometimes we miss this because when we say disciples, we always think only about the twelve. So those who truly believed continued to follow. And we have to apply the same benchmark uh, or the same principle when we're looking at the multitudes. They followed. Yeah, truly, they did believe something about Jesus, but what? Maybe they were following because there were many people. I mean, after all, look at the numbers. The numbers must be right, right? I mean, look at the crowds. These guys can't be wrong. And so there's a crowd phenomenon that today we call it the herd mentality. Or if you want to misspell it, it's the herd mentality. Have you heard or not? Do you hear or not? They say this, you know. He said this, you know. Oh, you must go, you know. Oh, they preached this one. Never hear before one. So I call it the herd mentality as well as the herd mentality. And let's admit it. People love hearsay. Check your Facebook. People love hearsay, and if there's enough hearsay, it can be misspelled to become hearsay. Heresy, I mean. <laughs> but not everyone in the crowd really believes or understands what's going on. That we can be sure of, actually. But it's usually anchored by first a group that believes. They are strong enough in their belief to hold it together. It's usually a core. You'll find this in any group and any congregation, there will always be a call. And it draws a kind of an attraction and there will be those on the fridge. And the rest that join later, they join for various reasons. Look at the general election that just went by. 
I mean, look at the crowds, look at the rallies. The opposition party thought, man, this is cool. I, I'm, I'm going to get it. In the end, they end up being snooped. They should have read the Bible. <laughs> there is a herd mentality. So when we look at all these things, can we be conclusive? Are they all believers? It's hard, right? It's hard to say that. Are they all not believers? No, it's very hard to say again because you're numbering thousands. How are we to point a finger? But the multitudes followed him. Who were these? I believe there were many who tagged along. And yet I also believe that there were others who sincerely desired to know more about Jesus because later when we read in the, in the Gospels, you will find that some of these would run after Jesus and say, can I follow you? They wanted, they sincerely wanted to become disciples in that they would have believed in Jesus and they offered themselves. But it's really hard to tell. And so I want to leave you with one point to ponder. That one can follow without believing. But one cannot believe without following. This is an important point for us to ponder and also to keep in mind. More than wonder about the multitudes, I think we should apply this line to ourselves. Who am I following? Why am I following? What am I following? Because you know you can follow a crowd, you can follow a movement and not understand a single thing about it. But if you say that you are following, you should ask yourself, then what am I really believing that I'm following? And the next question is also important. If I'm not willing to follow Jesus as wholeheartedly as I should, what about Jesus then do I find difficult believing in? Is that a good question? So apply this principle as we look at the multitudes rather than point a finger at them. I want to know because I struggle in certain areas I say, Lord, I want to follow you, but it's not complete. I still struggle with it. And if I follow, if my following is questionable, my believing is questionable. What are we believing about Jesus? Your Jesus says, will you deny everything and follow me? And if I say, not really, it means I don't fully trust you, Lord. Why do I want to be a disciple? Why do I want to stay a believer only? My believing is questionable. So as we have explored the multitudes in the Gospels, and it does raise some question, doesn't it? Whether that they are believers or not. I mean, we know they are not disciples, but the question is, did they really believe? I had a very interesting observation, and it became a very nice revelation as we get into the book of Acts. Now, you know the book of Acts comes after the four Gospels. And let me read some verses here in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now, of course, we know after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, you know, thousands were added and so on. But by the time it comes to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, look at this. Now the multitude of those who believed. The phrasing now is different. There's a descriptor of the multitudes. It explains who these multitudes are. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, these multitudes are different multitudes now. 
they are believers. Because the Bible says so. Let's go on. In the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 14. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So are these multitudes also believers? Yes, they are. Because the Bible tells us so. Now we get into Acts chapter 6, which is the very familiar passage about the uh, Hellenist widows being looked after or neglected first, and then the apostles uh, made a decision for their care. Verse 1, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, now look at that. Look at this word called multiplying, the same root word where we get multitudes. What multitudes are these now? Disciples. The disciples was multiplying the number. There arose a complaint again the he- against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And it goes on. Now in verse 5, of course, he gives, um, they gave the, the reason why and in verse 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude. Multitude of what? Disciples, right? We've got to stay in the context. It pleased the entire multitude. Of course, they chose Stephen. And in verse 7, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Wow, how many of you would love to have a program like this in your church? But can you see there was no mention of any program, right? It just tells you from the passages before, believers were multitudes and suddenly it was disciples, they are multitudes. Stay with me for a while. Because finally, we end up in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. And here comes the clincher. We are told that the believers who were persecuted, they came from Cyprus and Cyrene. And they were dispersed and they went out back to Antioch in that region. They preached Jesus and a great number believed. Multitudes believed and turned to the Lord. Jerusalem head office hears about this. And so they send Barnabas to go check things out. He goes in there and he says, this is cool. And he continues that work. He says, go on. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Multitudes again. So who are these? Believers. Finally, he goes and he gets Saul, before his name is changed to Paul, and they were teaching this assembly, right? They get all these mentioned earlier together, and they taught a great many people. Again, multitudes. And then it finally was recorded in verse 26. And the disciples, this many that believed, they were described as what? Disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It's like, man, this group is so huge, we better name them. Who who are these guys? Who are these multitudes? And you notice the point I'm trying to, to convey to you or what I'm trying to show you is that the terms where the believers or disciples they are synonymously applied to this great number of people. 
These terms are the same. They turn to the Lord and these are the multitudes, believers and disciples, and they were called Christians. Now, what does the word Christian mean? The word Christian simply means the follower of the Christ or the one belonging to the Christ. So if you are a follower of the Christ, obviously you are a disciple of the Christ. But before you can be a disciple of Christ, obviously you would have been a believer of the Christ. So it's the same. It's the same. Believer, disciple, Christian, no difference. But today, we get someone to believe, we call this person a Christian, and then we try so hard to get them to be a disciple. Because we have taught a two-staged process. Oh, you just believe that. Oh, then not yet. You can't be a disciple yet. You must go through new believer class. Got me? Oh, you must, you must know this. You must know that. Then after a few years, can I work all over the place already? Come, can I be a disciple? Don't want to. Thank you. I stay believer, Ken. The Bible doesn't make that distinction. Would you agree with me? I mean, look at them. They were multitudes of believers. They were multitudes of disciples. And we have multitudes of Christians. The term multitudes was used differently now to refer to disciples of Jesus Christ. And I belabor this point. Maybe it's my personal mission to, to debunk this. Because I know that there are people who may not fully agree with my position, and that's fine. It's okay. You can keep believing believer and disciple if you want to. But I'm showing you from Scripture that I believe by the time it came to the book of Acts, that distinction is not there. If we look at the church in Antioch, and we were wondering, man, what kind of a discipleship program did they have? That it was really multitudes. Then we have to ask ourselves, have we perhaps defined discipleship wrongly for ourselves? Or do we have a wrong perception about discipling today in the church? It's a term that we use so loosely, it's very familiar. But when you talk to different people, they come up with different answers. So rather than tell you what discipleship is, maybe we can look at what discipleship is not first. That I can get you to perhaps be more convicted that we are all here in this room, believers, disciples, Christians. First thing, discipleship is not an optional add-on to salvation. I think this is the simplest point to explain. When you believe in Jesus, you believe in the work of Jesus upon the cross. He died for us. In dying for us, His body broken for us, His blood shed for us, He redeemed us. He bought us back with a great price, His life, Himself. And as He buys back someone who has been enslaved to a foreign power called sin, Slaves, when we are set free from the old master and we are bought by another master, we today belong to the new master. And so in biblical phrasing, it says you are today no longer your own, but you belong to Jesus Christ. And so if you belong to the Christ, then you are a Christian. 
And if you are a Christian, then you are one who is a follower of the Christ. And if you are a follower of the Christ, you are a disciple of this Master. And everyone says, Amen. I'm just using terms to share this with you, okay? But today, Christian just means the one word you fill in under this column, religion. That's what he has been taken to mean. No way. Not in the Bible. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Christ. You don't get to choose. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Salvation is a package deal. You don't take one pack part and then you say the other part believes on. So, I don't want. Now, what does it mean when you say, I don't want to be a disciple? Again, let me make this point clear. You won't follow because you don't fully believe. Or you're believing something about Jesus that may not be totally accurate. And that's why you're struggling with the following. And that's why you must go back and say, Lord, show me what's wrong with my belief. You know, what am I missing? I know all the Christian phrases. I know all the Christian doctrines. But what is it? It's not connecting. Check what you believe that you may fully follow. And I make this point important because the Bible tells us that in the last days, there will be winds of doctrine. There will be a lot of things that would sound nice that you want to believe in, and yet the Bible warns that there will be a great falling away. You want to hear the word great again? And multitudes, there you have it. But it's about falling away. So I'm not impressed with numbers. I'm excited about numbers, don't get me wrong. But today when we see a great number, we rejoice, praise the Lord. What's going to happen when that great number falls away? See, discipleship is not an add-on. You're a disciple here and now if you say you are a Christian. How many disciples do we have in the room? That was under due rest. All the hands went up. <laughs> I better put up my hand. <laughs> Number two, disciples are not a special class of believers. If you think that disciples must be called, and we addressed that already in the previous teaching, or they have to be chosen and picked from a crop, then this is how you will view discipleship. Oh, believers who are more spiritual, you know, believers who are more capable, uh, believers who are more loved by the Lord, um, you're more special because, you know, the Lord says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, right? And so, some are very happy that they don't, they, they, because they don't want to be chosen. They don't want to be called. So they hold to this. But I'm telling you that disciples are not a special class of believers. We are all believers and we're all disciples but we will be separately chosen for different tasks and different assignments. That's the difference, friends. Not, not, there's none of us here that will be more special in the Lord's eyes. Can I use that phrase? Because He loves each and every one of us dearly. He died for everyone. He didn't die for me more than He died for you. He died for each and every one. And if we would believe that we would be belonging to Him, we would be His disciples. But... I will be chosen for an assignment and you will be chosen for yours and you will be chosen for yours. Amen? Look at the Gospels. Jesus had how many disciples? I'm thankful no one shouted 12. 
Because at the end, when he appeared to his disciples, the Bible actually records it's at least 500. So he had a lot of disciples. How many did he send out into the villages? Depending on translation, 70, 72. How come he didn't send the others out? Not good enough. Huh? How many did he choose as apostles? Twelve. Which of the apostles formed an inner circle? Three. Are you hearing me? Are they special? No. But they had a specific assignment and man, will they suffer for that? See, disciples are not a special class. Friends, whether we are frontline or whether we are backroom, if you enlist in the army, you're a soldier. You don't sign up with CMPB, Central Manpower, and say, you know, can I just sign up and enlist in the army first? And then after I decide, oh, maybe I don't want to be a soldier. The moment you're in, you're a soldier. That's it. This is the army of God. We are all soldiers in Christ. We're all fellow soldiers. Some will get out into the front line. Some will mend the stores. That's fine. But we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. And He's the commander of the Lord's army. We are a body with different parts. Paul says it's not one part that's more special. You know, they all have different functions. And we give honour. So we've got to get rid of this thought that, you know, okay, I cannot be discipled, you know. Because these are special ones, these are called ones, these are the higher ones. No way. You're being lied to. We're all disciples. And we all have different assignments. That's what I'm trying to explain to people, you see that. The third thing about discipleship, what it is not, is that it is not a church program or a ministry. It's sad today when you ask someone, what's your ministry? Oh, I'm called to discipleship. Oh, yeah, I'm not. Can you you see that phrasing? Oh, what program are you enlisting for or signing up for? Oh, it's a discipleship program. So they think that if they do that, they will become a disciple. And so, well, it's nice. They attend church faithfully. They they pray every day. They do their quiet time. And they they fast. They attend Bible study. It's wonderful to see you here at Kingdom 101. But I cannot understand believers who would faithfully do all these things and yet still refuse to acknowledge themselves as disciples. Can you see? So it's not what you do that makes you a disciple. It is who you are as a disciple that determines what you do. If I know I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, man, I want to pray like my master. If I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, then Lord, help me, teach me to fast so that I can be moving by the Holy Spirit as you moved by the Holy Spirit. It's not learning these little things so that I can become a disciple. No, I start as one. It's who I am that determines what I do. It's not what I do. And I hope to make points and earn credit points and later on I graduate and become a disciple. It doesn't work that way. Now don't get me wrong, okay? I mean, if you have your discipleship causes, and all that, sure, do it. I'm just challenging the, pers- the, the perspective you have. And if we don't address this, we perpetuate this, and that's why there are, there are believers out there you know, that will look at those who sign up and say, oh, it's for you, but you see, I'm not ready. That's not my ministry. My ministry is in worship team. And so as worship team, you don't need to be disciple, nah. No need, just sing, no need. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's why, that's how people get away with it. Discipleship is a ministry. I'm not called to that. Hello, all of us are disciples. We end up doing church things. We end up doing church activities. Let me borrow an illustration that Pastor Francis Chan, you know him? He's the author, the guy who wrote Crazy Love. I mean, he's radical. He gave this illustration and I thought it was really, really good. Everyone knows this game called Simon Says. Maybe we've played it before. So Simon says this and you have to do it. Simon says that and you do it. And if Simon doesn't say, then you don't do what about Jesus says? He asked this pointedly. What about Jesus says? So he says, instead of doing what Jesus says, we gather on Sundays or we huddle into small groups to study what he says, how he says, and what he means when he says it. Then he goes on he, in this illustration. He says, if my wife instructed my daughter to do the laundry, she would expect the young lady to obey the instruction. Imagine if after three hours, my wife checks on the task and my daughter reports that she has not done the laundry, but she has memorized the instruction. She can repeat it in the same tone and the nuance of the mother and has even studied what laundry means in Greek or Hebrew. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, right? But that's what discipleship in church has become. We study what Jesus says. We look at what he says. We look at the Greek and all that. And I'll give you a little Latin to impress you. But are we doing what Jesus says? It's not a ministry. It's not a program. It's an order by the Lord. But it all depends whether you consider yourself disciples first. If not, why would you do what the master says? After all, is he your master in the first place if you're not a disciple? Discipleship is not one aspect of the spiritual walk. Now, this is an extension from that previous point because we see prayer as one aspect or we see the prophetic as one aspect or we see worship as one aspect, Bible study, and then suddenly we have discipleship as one component there. What this leads to is compartmentalization. And you stretch it to an extreme, then we divide the sacred and the secular. And that's why, you know, discipleship sort of ends in the church. We just leave it in that, in that course. And we graduate and that's it. We don't do anything with it. Discipleship is not one aspect of the spiritual walk. Friends, discipleship is the spiritual walk. It's the spiritual walk. As a disciple, you learn everything about the master. It's not one thing that you do. It's everything. It's your entire life. You incorporate all the aspects. You incorporate all the elements. And disciples don't keep kingdom principles in the church. They bring it into every aspect of their lives and of their work. This should blow our minds. This should change the way we live. Husbands, as a disciple of Jesus, love your wives. Wives, as a disciple of Jesus, love your husbands and submit to him. Parents, as disciples of Jesus, raise your children in the ways and the fear of the Lord. Fathers and mothers, as disciples of Jesus, love and serve your children. Children, as disciples of Jesus, honor and obey your parents. 
Bosses, as disciples of Jesus, run your company as well and treat your employees with love. Employees, as disciples of Jesus, do your work well and stop skiving. Citizens of Singapore, as disciples of Jesus, stop griping and complaining. Isn't that what kingdom is? But if you say you're not disciples, who cares about all these things? Then we're just believers. Let's just be moral and let's be nice people. Don't step on each other's toes and it's be fine. See, it's not one aspect of the spiritual walk. It is the spiritual walk. Another interesting discovery to share with you. We've looked at the word multitudes in Gospels, and then now in the book of Acts, there is actually a very clear distinction that the multitudes now also not only refer to the general crowd, it also refers to believers vis-a-vis stroke disciples. Look at this one word called disciples. In the New Testament, this word disciple is mentioned 274 times. And so I did a little search. I wanted to know the proportion. In the Gospels, it's spoken of 242 times. In the book of Acts, it's only mentioned 32 times. By the time we hit the book of all the epistles and all the letters, the, the word disciples don't appear at all. I thought, wow, this is an interesting thing. I mean, Jesus' last words in Matthew chapter 28 says, go and make disciples. That's the great commission. And it can mean one of two things when I look at these statistics. For one, maybe the disciples failed big time because they never called the churches, the people there. They call them everything and anything except the word disciples. So they really messed up. They really failed. Jesus said, make disciples, and they never once called them disciples. They only converted people into believers, called them saints, called them body, called them field, called them building, called them anything except disciples. That could be one possibility, and we know that's quite unlikely. Which means the second possibility would be the one that we will hold to. Maybe there's no difference anymore between believers and disciples. There's no distinction needed. That it's so taken for granted that everyone knew they were disciples. Because we were told in the book of Acts that we had multitudes of disciples. See that? But today we are making a huge distinction. And I think we are climbing up a wrong tree. There's no longer a need to segregate believers and disciples. When we get to the last book called Revelation, multitude is mentioned once more. And it's mentioned four times. In one mention, it refers to those who oppose the Lamb and His faithful ones, i.e. disciples. So use in contrast again. The next three times, or the other three times it is used, it is called great multitudes. Same words that we saw in Matthew. These are ones who worship and praise God. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. They are the faithful ones that come out from the great tribulation. Multitudes. Believers. Disciples. Chapter 19, verse 1, and then verse 6, in the same context, it refers to the bride 
and the wedding guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Great multitudes. And so if these are also believers, I believe disciples too, you see? Multitudes of disciples, consistent. So if you want to study the Bible, let's be consistent. Look at what the terms are saying to us. So let's close with this. Jesus says, go make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. See, how we understand disciples and multitudes will affect how we read and understand this great commission. He said, get out there, get the multitudes in. And all of them, disciples. The moment they believe, they are disciples. You know, this is what it is. You don't have to make a distinction at all. You don't just stop by saying a sinner's prayer, you know, and then that's it, it ends there, and then thank you, I'll see you in heaven. No, the moment they say, I believe, immediately they are disciples, and this is what you will do to help them. You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So let's look at these two points just in passing, because I'm hoping that I can reserve the, 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 a deeper teaching for this when we get finally to Matthew chapter 28. Stay with me, it might be just five years later. <laughs> Make them disciples, all nations, doesn't matter. Make them disciples, this is how you do it. Baptize them. And I don't think this is just a dip in the pool. This is not a trip to East Coast Beach. Yes, there is a ritual of baptism, I'm not minimizing that. What did we learn when we looked at Jesus being baptized? John baptizing the people. What does the word baptize mean? It means to immerse. Immerse them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Keep pointing them to the Lord. Immerse them in everything about God. Immerse them in the personality, the character, the nature, the purpose of God. Immerse them in the heartbeat of God. Immerse them in the heartbeat of the kingdom. Immerse them in the ways of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immerse them in the Godhead's will. Immerse them in the purposes. Immerse them. Soak them thoroughly. That's how you make disciples. We call it alignment. Align them. Align them. The moment they go off track, bring them back. Immerse them. Help them. Let them see the Father. Let them understand the Son. Let them receive the Holy Spirit. That's how you make disciples. You don't bring them into a church program. You don't teach them about, okay, I mean, you've got certain distinctives depending on what your denomination is. That's fine. I respect that. But finally, the kingdom is the one. Immerse them. And after that, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Teach them. Don't just teach them church subculture. They'll pick that up anyway. Teach them kingdom. And it says teach them to observe all things. Now, you, you underline these two words in your Bible. Highlight it. Because the sad thing is that in certain quarters, they are telling you some of the things don't apply anymore. They are segregating pre-cross and post-cross. I want you to be aware of this. So they are saying to you, whatever Jesus taught 
pre-cross, before he went to the cross. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't died yet for you. That's old covenant. So it no longer applies. So all you want is to read what happens after the cross. That's dangerous, my dear friends. We don't have time to go into that. But I'm highlighting something to you so that you can have your antennas up, process it. Don't throw it out first, just process it. And if I'm wrong, I'll apologize. But if that is wrong, then you hold on to the words of Matthew here that says, or Jesus here in Matthew that says, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. All, all. All means all. Everything. Everything is relevant. Everything is still needful. When we get to the Lord's Prayer, you know, I'm being told today that the Lord's Prayer is no longer relevant. Now, you have to keep this passage in mind as you process on your own as disciples. Because when we come back, and it's going to be quite a, a few weeks, quite a few weeks well, when we return, with phase three, we're going to go head in to the Sermon on the Mount. And that's a teaching of the kingdom. I want you to observe that. I want you to take note. Are you approaching as one who's a multitude because Jesus sat down and taught all? Or are you approaching it as a disciple? That's your choice. But the Bible tells me that when Jesus saw the multitudes, He went up the mountain and He sat down and the disciples came to Him. So the question for us is, will you listen from afar or will you come to Jesus, your Master, to listen to all things? And look at the phrase, because it doesn't say just to teach them all things. It says to teach them to observe or to obey all things. Now that's the key. Because I can teach you all things or I can learn all things and we could still not obey. That's what a disciple does. He obeys his master. Jesus says, what Jesus says, you do. What he assigns to you, you go fulfill it. And we call it assignment. This is how you make disciples. It's not a one-day thing. It's not an overnight thing. It's a lifelong thing, and we all agree with that. But it starts with something fundamental. Do you believe you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you accept that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Will you live and will you move as one who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. It starts there. Otherwise, it's just an intellectual discourse. We, we just argue over terms and interpretations and we waste time. And so let's conclude. Multus discipulus. I mean, this is a picture, of, obviously, of a very huge assembly. And we can find these all over the world. That's fine. And there's nothing wrong with having great numbers in the church. It's nice. But it's dangerous if discipleship has become a buzzword and then nobody wants to talk about the difference between a believer or, or that there's, there's no difference between a believer and a disciple or people are confused and we say, no, it's okay, don't worry about it because after all, you're saved. You know, we're all going to be la-la land soon. 
Don't worry, it's all going to be good. It's entirely by His grace. This thing, just leave it for those who have more time to think about. But today, I challenge us. Let's leave wrong questions behind. The question is not whether we are believers or disciples. I believe the question is if we are faithful or unfaithful disciples of Jesus. You look at Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 12, Mark chapter 13, when it talks about Jesus going like a, like a man who goes to a far country and he comes back and he's coming again. He doesn't come back and say, are you a believer or a disciple? He doesn't ask that. He comes back and he asks the servants, did you do what I asked you to do, right? That's all he's interested about. He doesn't draw distinctions. I mean, you ask the brothers or the sisters who are in, in, in the Middle East, right? The ISIS comes, he doesn't ask, are you a believer or a disciple? Disciple, I shoot twice. Believer, I shoot once. No, right? Christian, check, gone. This is it. I mean, they don't split hair. Why do we? Are we giving ourselves latitude or what, you know? Attendantship is nice. But more than just multitudes in the churches, what if, just consider this, just consider this, whether you have 200 in your church, 2,000, 20,000, the same question applies. Just consider this. What if churches were filled with great multitudes of disciples who boldly live for Jesus and His kingdom? Just imagine this. Just imagine, okay? What would happen to that community first? What would happen to that GRC? What would happen to Singapore? What if? What if? What if every believer was awakened, aligned, and assigned? What if? Why are we wasting time fighting about questions that don't matter? Why don't we just live for Jesus? Amen? And a lot of times for me, the messages or the teachings, and it's happened before, it's, I believe it's happening again, are keep us awakening as a ministry desires not just to awaken someone. We hope to help the person align, baptize them in the name of the Father. Okay, the water one, the church can do. The immersing one, soak one uh, into the purposes of the kingdom. Uh, we want to have a part of to help the person align. That these, this person then, as he or she is aligned, will then be assigned to do the kingdom work. And it was just only about within the last couple of weeks that I'm very convinced that when we come to next year, 2016, and I'm praying through still, I want you to keep praying for me. I want to roll out Archippus Academy, which is an aligning process to help people who recognize themselves as Archippuses journey together for a season towards what the Lord wants for us. I don't have details yet. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but a vision is really to raise and to release Archippuses 
according to what the Bible wants us to do. That's not our tagline, I'm just borrowing this. Multus discipulus acipus. It just sounds nice. Huh? Right, yeah? It sounds nice. Huh? Sounds anointed. Multus discipulus acipus. Or chapalang Latin, Greek, whatever. As long as we live for Jesus, I don't care what you call us. Amen? Yeah? And so I want you to pray for us. Probably won't be the first half. It, I will probably target for a second half. But I'm going to take time out to pray, to fast, to prepare. And I'm going to ask the Lord to bring, bring the people whose hearts are ready. And we're going to journey together. We'll share with you more information as it comes along. But if you're interested in any way, no obligations, you can always just drop me an email and we can just dialogue. Because it's not about a program. It's about your heart. And so as we close, Kingdom 101 Phase 2, I would like to invite you to end this whole uh, phase Phase 1, Phase 2, journey, whether you're new for the first time, doesn't matter whether you've been with us since 18th of March, doesn't matter. Would you like to close Phase 2 with a recommitment to Jesus? Not just to believe, but to follow and to be a faithful disciple. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. And it's truly all about Him. And Lord, as we declare Jesus, we want to remember His death. That He died for us. His body was broken for us. Blood was shed for us. He took everything upon Himself for all of us. If not for that, where would we be? It all starts with that. And Lord, you say, by faith, Lord, by your grace, as we believe that, we believe into Christ. And as we believe into Christ, then we're no longer our own. We belong to Jesus. And in that, we follow Jesus. And so we're all disciples of our Master because we all yearn to not just be like Him, but also be on mission with Him and for Him. So Lord, thank you for leading us through this entire year and that at this point, you are helping us pause to come to a very important recommitment. We will acknowledge ourselves as disciples of Jesus. And so Lord, I pray for those here and I pray for those who are listening that if that's your desire to say, yes, Lord, that's my commitment. Lord, I've got it wrong before. Help me now. Lord, I still am not sure whether I can do it, but Lord, it's not me. It is you. If that is you, whether you're here or you're listening in, will you just utter that prayer of commitment to the Lord yourself? Short one. Say, Lord, help me. I'm here, Lord. I'm going to give everything to you. I will follow you. So Lord, as we close, I know you will honour that commitment. Bring people alongside us, Lord. Others who have journeyed a little bit more. So that, Lord, it will not just be a walk alone, but it will be a, an assembly of, our, of, of, of disciples coming together, of our keepers. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So that we can encourage each other, provoke one another, 
and do what we've been called to do by you. So I thank you, Lord. You're going to be faithful. You're going to lead us. And we're going to be okay. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.